Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, I am Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm not supposed to be speaking this morning. This wasn't the plan. At a little over, at a little past eight o'clock last evening, Kim and I were gathered in our living room with Brandon and Jamie Pfeiffer, uh, two of our dearest friends who are here visiting from Florida. And my phone rang, and I saw that said Mike Nafziger on the screen, and I knew I wasn't going to sleep well last night. <clears throat> so I answered, and the sound of Mike's voice confirmed everything I suspected. It sounded like he had gravel in his throat. And he told me he had a high fever and his throat was super sore and that it had come on very quickly and I was going to be the speaker this morning. And I started sweating. (laughs) My heart started racing. Uh, But within just a few seconds, the scripture that came to mind that brought peace out of the turmoil was just Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And I think the thing that brought me peace was that word paths. The passage doesn't say, in all your ways acknowledge God and he will make your path straight. It says paths, which is plural. And no matter how many unexpected forks in the path we encounter, like the pastor calling at 8 o'clock on a Sunday night and telling you, or Saturday night and telling you you're speaking the next morning, that's just a fork in the path, right? And no matter how many forks in the paths we find ourselves on, God promises he'll make them all straight if we trust in him. And so I took a deep breath, continued visiting with Brandon and Jamie, tried to pretend that this wasn't happening, and when they left, I went to bed. Got up this morning and came to the office, believing that God was going to give me something to say, and I think he answered that prayer. Um, This will be fairly brief. I'm kind of I've been studying 2 Corinthians in my own personal time, so this I'm just going to take you through a passage that I've been studying. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read the first nine verses. I didn't even have time to make a PowerPoint, so you'll have to actually turn there in your Bibles or on your devices. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, beginning with the first verse. For we know... That if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say. And prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Now, the first thing we have to understand about this passage is that Paul is writing to believers, to followers of Christ. And he is discussing whether for a believer it is better to be dead or alive. 
And he's not very subtle at hiding his bias. In fact, we can pretty much figure out what he believes just from the first few words of the passage. Verse 1 refers to our earthly bodies as tents and our heavenly bodies as eternal buildings. Let's read verse 1 again. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So which would you rather live in? A tent or an eternal building made by God? Paul doesn't hide his bias very well, right? He knows what he wants. And he confirms this in verses 2 to 4, where he writes again, For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, and as much as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. In this tent, in this earthly body, we groan. We get sick. We suffer injuries. We suffer loss. We have disagreements with people that we know and love. We suffer persecution for our faith. We continually wrestle against our flesh. And this list could just keep going on and on. We groan. In this tent, we groan. And we long for what is mortal to be swallowed up in life. And then we come to verse 5. Which says, now he who prepared, for us, who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, I think it means that the things that make us groan in this earthly body, the trials and the sufferings that we endure, those things are not wasted. In fact, those are the very things God is using us to prepare for eternity. And to keep us from despair in our groaning, God has given us the Holy Spirit as a promise. In essence, Paul is saying that God backs up the promise of eternal bodies in heaven with a down payment that we get right now, which is the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? In the previous verses, he says, in this tent, we groan, we suffer, and we long for what is mortal to be swallowed up in life. And God knows that we long for that. He knows that this world has a way of beating us down, leaving us discouraged. And to keep us encouraged and focused on His eternal promises, He has given us the Holy Spirit. The very same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead has been given to us as a down payment on what is to come. And here's why this is so important. Look at verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. In this world, we walk by faith and not by sight. To walk by faith and not by sight, is one of the great and difficult principles of Christian living. It must amaze the angels who can physically see God 
It must amaze them that we live for, serve, and are even willing to die for a God we've never seen. Yet we love Him, we live for Him, empowered by His Holy Spirit to live by faith and not by sight. And to a non-believer, to someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, this faith of ours must seem ridiculous. Why would anyone choose to suffer the way Christians suffer? Every week I, I read news reports and of places all over the world where Christians are being put to death for believing what we believe. Why would Christians groan and suffer for a God they can't prove is real? A God they can't touch, they can't smell. In some ways it would be so much easier to embrace the wisdom of the world, right? It really would be, in some ways, so much easier to follow our own desires, to stop denying ourselves certain pleasures of our flesh. It would be so much easier just to give in to the world, to not suffer the persecution, the ridicule that we suffer. So why do we choose the harder path? Why do we follow this unseen God? And the answer really is because of the Holy Spirit enabling us to live by faith. I can't explain that in a way that makes sense. Can you? Can anybody? But I can tell you this. I know that he's real. I haven't seen him or touched him or smelled him, but I've experienced him. I feel him in my heart. I know that he loves me. I know he sent his son to die in my place. I have confidence in his grace being given to me. I've read eyewitness accounts in scripture of Jesus' miracles, of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and I know they're true. I know they're true. And the only explanation for why I believe those things, for why I know in my heart of hearts that those things are true and other people don't, is that the Holy Spirit has given me the ability to walk by faith and not by sight. Anyone else? In this world we groan, longing to be swallowed up in eternal life. But the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to endure by giving us faith to believe in the unseen God who spoke the world into existence and has promised us that we will be with him in eternity. And here's the kicker. Look at verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. In other words, whether alive or dead, we have as our ambition to be pleasing to Him, empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk by faith and not by sight. No matter what, whether we're dead or alive, we have as our ambition to be pleasing to God. I use this verse in counseling a lot, and I summarize it this way. I want to please God more than I want to breathe. Oh, how I wish that were true, right? Because even though I know God is real... And even though I know He has bestowed His grace upon me, I still struggle against sin. I still groan in this body of flesh. Anybody else? But this is the goal. 
to get out of bed every day with my number one ambition being to please God that day. So let's, as we close, spend just a moment thinking about the implications of that thought. If I get out of bed tomorrow with my number one ambition being to be pleasing to God, what kind of husband will I be? Well, what if my wife is in a bad mood? Well, what if she treats me poorly? Now, let me be clear. I have a great wife, and she never treats me poorly. I don't want to be in trouble when I get home. (laughs) But if, for the sake of an illustration, if I get out of bed and my number one ambition is to be pleasing to the Lord, and my wife treats me poorly, how do I respond? You can answer. With love and grace, right? With love and grace. Because it's pleasing to God that I do that. And what kind of parent will I be? A loving, patient, grace-filled parent, right? But what if my kids are in total rebellion? What then? Can't I yell at them? Can I scream at them? Well, I respond with loving, patient discipline, right? Again, not because they deserve that necessarily, but because it's pleasing to God. What kind of employee will I be? What kind of work ethic will I demonstrate? What kind of church member will I be? What kind of friend will I be if my number one ambition is to be pleasing to God? You see the implications? My number, if my number one ambition is to be pleasing to God, I live a life of excellence in so many ways Not necessarily because those around me deserve that kind of treatment, but purely because it's pleasing to God. I don't get it right very often. How about you? But that's the goal, right? That's the goal. This is my prayer for all of us gathered here today. Yes, we will groan in these bodies of flesh, but until the day of promise is fulfilled, it's my prayer that empowered by the Holy Spirit, We will all walk by faith and not by sight and desire to live lives that are pleasing to God more than we want to breathe. Let's pray. Father, I just prayed it. It's true. We will groan in these bodies of flesh. But Lord, empowered by your Holy Spirit, which we know you have granted to us as a promise of things to come, May we walk by faith and not by sight and desire to please you more than we want to breathe. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.